ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Do you want to back Australian grain growers? It's as easy as microwaving popcorn. A multi-million dollar factory has been built in Toowoomba on Queensland's Darling Downs to produce microwave popcorn. Landline's Courtney Wilson popped in for this story. Inside this warehouse in Toowoomba on Queensland's Darling Downs, the production line is in full swing. This facility opened in January and cost almost $7 million to set up with the sole purpose of producing all-Australian pop-it-yourself popcorn. We've got parts of this line that come from Denmark, Germany, Italy, the USA, China. So we've covered quite a bit of uh, engineering across the world. Setting up a manufacturing business in Australia is no mean feat. The sector has been in sharp decline for decades. But the CEO of Scarecrow Foods, Mark Adamson, believes when you've got the right product, it's worth the gamble. And it all starts with the raw ingredient. The primary part of this product is good quality popping corn. And this was always about the fact that we thought that the product was just so good that it was worthwhile going to the trouble of creating a manufacturing facility. Matthew Barnes is growing popping corn in Emerald in central Queensland. In 2023, that's unusual. The invasive pest fall armyworm, which has a serious sweet spot for corn, has caused havoc here for growers. We've had some pheromone traps here for the whole crop and the first lot of counts was off the scale. So we've had high pressure from day one. Fall armyworm is one of the reasons growers in this area moved away from growing popcorn, including Matthew Barnes. We've had fall armyworm in nearly every other crop, but they just don't seem to affect it. Sorghum, they get into it and they can make it untidy, but they don't do any economic loss. And it is just so destructive of corn and it's got a massive love for it. Five years ago, despite being all geared up for growing corn, when the contracts weren't there and with the arrival of the invasive pest... It just didn't seem worthwhile. So much so that Matthew Barnes even sold all the machinery it required. Now he's back here with corn in the ground yet again. Farming is a variable thing. You can never say this is what's going to happen, unfortunately, because that's just not how it works. Our hope here is to make something similar to cotton, if not better than cotton some years. Right now, this is a trial crop. And to grow it, they've been following the latest advice from research led by both government and industry bodies. We've sprayed fairly regularly for the first three to four weeks of the crop just to try and get that early infestation out. It's probably made the difference between success and failure, I would would say. From the farm, the popping corn is then sent to Bean Growers Australia in Kingaroy in Queensland's South Burnett. Here, the raw product which comes from growers all over the state, is sorted and graded before being distributed. It arrives at the warehouse in Toowoomba in bulk bags. We've got oil and flavouring that we're putting into a batch vat and then we're filling these trays with popcorn, oil and flavour. We're sealing those through a tray sealer machine. Then we're erecting the pop box, gluing the bottom, putting the tray in, folding it down and then putting a band around it before they're packing it off in units of 10 shelf-ready cartons. 
What's left out of this product is almost as important as what's gone into it. This doesn't contain palm oil. And all of the ingredients used are able to be traced back through the supply chain. Almost all, bar some of the oil used, is produced in Australia. 15 staff are employed in this facility, with a view to increasing that if and when required, although machines do a lot of the grunt work. We set this manufacturing line up to be automated end-to-end -end, and we can produce tens of thousands in a day if needed. We often talk about supporting Australian farmers, but what most likely comes to mind when you hear that is buying meat or dairy, fruit or vegetables. But in the snack or convenience food category, there are also plenty of homegrown options. Places like this are proof of that. Mark Adamson believes the standard of farming in Australia is what sets us apart from so many other places and also what makes it worth taking a big gamble on something new. In spite of costs, pests, global pandemics and the many other hurdles faced along the way. Setting up a manufacturing business like this, you can do it in Australia because you know that the farmers are really professional and even if it's difficult they've had a long history of finding a way to make it work. And it's probably the most rewarding thing that a farmer can do is actually know where his products end up and ends up in the coals and Woolworths you can see the product in the shelf and say I probably grew that or there's a chance that I did grow that. That's Central Queensland popcorn grower Matthew Barnes ending that story from Courtney Wilson. Well from one seed to another as the weather warms up the wattles bloom and the eucalyptus drip with grey box. You know the ones, those beautiful, delicate blooms. They're kind of creamy or yellow and have that very sweet scent. And while it may wreak havoc for your hay fever, it's particularly delightful for native seed collectors. The dash of Carolina Helderman's car is covered with brown paper bags with samples collected during hours spent walking in the bush, mapping the areas bursting with highly sought-after seeds. She'll return in summer to harvest, as she explains to Annie Brown. It's driving around and looking at the mapping of wild populations, picking the times, like at the moment we're picking black box right up on, um, at Barmer. Um, and some of the daisy, uh, New Holland fuzzy daisies are ready up there. Um, some are, then the week before I was over at Winton Wetlands, um, the river red gums are ready over there. So uh, we're, it's about timing and it's about keeping your eyes open and monitoring and you can't necessarily go on last year's records, eucalypts don't behave like that. <laughs> um, you know, you can get rough guidelines, but yeah, you try and get samples whenever you're out. I, I work in another job around the catchment, so I'm spread widely too to be able to do that. A lot of walking into the bush, into quite rugged land, I imagine, and, and looking for these seeds, right? Yeah, some of it is, is going into deeper areas, but a lot of it is roadside. You'll notice, you'll all notice when you're driving that a lot of the corridors of of landscape is is really on your roadside so it's a lot of making sure you're safe going roadside a lot of it's that 
occasionally you're going deeper, deeper, deeper in, like in Rushworth. I, I go, right, I'm out here all by myself, is it safe? <laughs> but generally it's roadside, yeah. And, and sometimes it's solo and sometimes it's with a small crew, but we're a very small team due to budgetary like you said, your sort of peak harvest season is in the summer, right, in the hottest part of the year. Yeah. I guess you're approaching that this year. What are you sort of expecting this year? Has it been a good season? As a- so what we're seeing at the moment is we're seeing the eucalypts dripping with grey box, which is our main species, because it's right through the plains. So that's one that we're going to want huge amounts of, and we're, we're very low in the bank, and it's, we're just watching it. It's maybe two months off, so you keep doing samples and checking, but we've been mapping it. We can see that there's going to be a big harvest of that. I can see a big harvest of white box over in Lurg. And as you say, we're kind of concentrating on the ukes at the moment, and then bang on come November, what we call the fluffies are going to be ready. And the fluffies take off right throughout the arboretum, the ground grass species. Um, we do most of it by hand we have a harvester for the native grasses but um, and that's usually on private property but then you've got to hope for a year that you have pure grass you can't go collecting um, grass seeds with a whole lot of weeds in there that's not going to be appreciated how would how do you pick it exactly do you cut off branches and then wrap the branches up in the top or how do you how do you pick seed different techniques for different species of course the ukes uh yeah are cut with um secateurs and poles um trying not to take too much of the the tree off um then you get kind of like your blue gum nuts where you wouldn't you know you wouldn't disturb the branches because then you're going to wreck next year so you're just taking the nuts off that some of the daisies we picked, the New Holland daisies up at Bacola last week, was using a vacuum. Um, it's it's a much more efficient way to <laughs> get all those fluffy little, little seeds up. And for some, it's by hand. Um, the the uh, wattles we're we're using tubs and just pulling the 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 wattle pods off. Why do you do it? <sighs> Why do I do it? I, I, I've said that it's one of recently one of the most rewarding. I've done a lot of jobs, worked in the media for a long time, um, lived in Melbourne and I moved up here 10 years ago and it's one of the most rewarding. You can see the end result in what you do, even if it's just that, that seed packet that we put into the fridges and you know how many plants that's going to be back into the landscape. So where we are with climate change, where we are, the whole environment, yeah, that's why I do it. And it's rewarding, you know. Better than that desk job I had. <laughs> it does sound pretty fun, actually, yeah. getting out and about and driving around. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You're out there, you, you do, you're working hard, but you're amongst, you know, I was brought up in, in an area and my father used to drag me out to bird observer meetings and, and now I'm like, oh, if he could see me now. That's Carolina Helderman, a native seed collector from the Euroa Arboretum in Victoria, speaking there with Annie Brown. Well, let me take you now from the paddock to what is on your plate. Let's look at it from the angle of what's on your shopping list and indeed what your budget allows. Here's a stat for you. One in four Australians now see nutritious food as a luxury they can't always afford. And the number of Australian families experiencing food insecurity is growing. 
Farmers, of course, spend their days ensuring there's meat, fruit and veg available for dinner tables around the world. But the cost of living crisis is putting that produce further and further out of reach. Experts say the government is failing to take the basic steps to address the problem. Lincoln Rothel has the details. Sarah Walker is doing her best to eat healthy. Sweet potato chips. But in this cost of living crisis, it's not easy. We rarely eat meat and um, fruit and vegetables is very dependent on what we get from um, food relief. Last year, the 51-year-old mother was diagnosed with malnutrition. She didn't have enough money to pay her bills, so was trying to save money by eating cheap, processed food and skiffing meals so her family had enough to eat. I think what food insecurity means is, is poor nutrition. Nutritious food costs more than crap food does. Um, it's a lot cheaper to buy you know, two-minute noodles um, than it is to buy fruit and veg. Sarah is just one of millions of Australians suffering from food insecurity. We think that one in four families are suffering from food insecurity in Australia. Data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics shows the cost of food has been rising faster than almost every other part of the household budget, increasing by almost 8% in the past year. And that rise is having a significant impact. A recent survey found one in 10 pregnant women is going hungry. A separate study found one in two households with children couldn't afford all the food they need. Researchers have to rely on this patchwork of private studies because unlike other governments, Australia doesn't regularly collect data on household food security. This is definitely a hidden problem in Australia. Um, if you don't measure it, you can't mend it. The most recent food security data from the ABS is more than a decade old. In the US, for example, they monitor food insecurity every year. In Canada, it's every second year. Dietitians say national leadership is needed so all Australians can get the food they need. So at the moment we don't have a national nutrition policy. The policy that we do have is 30 years old. If we had a national food and nutrition policy, what we could do is actually link up um, food systems with health systems. The Department of Health says the National Food and Nutrition Policy, which was published in 1992, is currently being updated and should be completed next year. It also says it's working on a policy document to address food security in priority populations by 2030. Sarah says change needs to come much sooner. People in this country are starving. Do you want to put that one in there? Sarah started her own charity to feed families in her area, but says grassroots organisations won't solve the problem. We shouldn't be having third world conditions in a country that's as rich as Australia. A plea for help to tackle a severe problem. That report was from Lincoln Rothel.